It is my honor and my privilege to introduce to you our guest preacher today. He arrived Friday night and he has no idea, but he has uh, been the one that's come and breathed that come what may and it is well into my soul. And I assure you, he's going to breathe that into you today as well. Reverend Dr. Brent Hawks has been the senior pastor of Toronto MCC for over 30 years. And while he's been there, he has championed human rights and social causes all the way from poverty to LGBTQ um, issues um, and racism, you name it, he has fought the good fight. And the, all, the, all the honors, when I was speaking to him, of all the honors and the honorary degrees on top of his doctorate at Trinity College, when I asked him what meant the most to him, he said in 2008, he was so proud to be awarded the Order of Canada by the Governor General of Canada for his stand on social justice and human rights. <laughs> and just FYI, that's the highest honor any country has given to a gay activist. Will you give a resurrection welcome to Reverend Dr. Brent Hawks? You're taking away my time to preach, so settle down. <laughs> I want to thank Pastor Janice for this invitation and your board of directors for making it possible uh, for me to be here. But before I begin, a little commercial. Uh, we webcast all of our worship services live on the internet. Uh, I know you're a little busy on Sunday mornings at 11, but uh, we archive them so the last 12 weeks are always there. So the music, the sermons, etc. So if you don't get enough heresies here at Resurrection, go onto the website and watch MCC Toronto. We'll give you a few on our site as well. I'm from Canada, and so I have an accent, apparently. I speak the Queen's English. That's the Queen of England's English. Um, <laughs> but I come from a country that I am very proud to say has 100% equality in law for gays and lesbians. There is not a single law in our country that discriminates against gay and lesbian people, either as individuals or couples. We still have a lot of work to do on trans issues, but in terms of gays and lesbians, we have 100% equality in law. And then I arrived in Houston on Friday evening. Our pl my plane was late, um, and I was hungry. I was looking for a restaurant that had a rainbow flag so I could have good food in a comfortable location. So I went walking and walking and walking, and I got lost, as is my usual custom, and tried to find a place. And so as I was wandering around a little distance, I saw this sign for a bar that I recognized from the guide called Chances. <laughs> so I thought, great, I'll go in and ask them where there's a restaurant nearby. But as I got close to the bar, I saw the bouncer. And she was the toughest-looking lesbian I have ever seen in my life. And I thought, well, if she's in a bad mood, she's going to want me, so I'm not going to ask her any directions. So I wandered for another hour, trying to find my way around, and finally I went back to Chances and said, I've got to risk this. I've got to ask directions. So as I walked up very nervously, she looked at me, and she said, Hi, darling, can I see your ID? Loved her. Loved her. It has been years since I've been asked for my ID. 
Then Saturday evening, I was here with you, many of you, for the comedy evening. An amazing, fun, wonderful evening. I learned lots about lesbian things <laughs> last night. And uh, so much so that I had a lot of questions. So I decided to take some time in my sermon this morning to ask your pastor, Janice, some, <laughs> some questions about some of those lesbian things I was confused about last night. But I thought I better not do that. So, <laughs> And then earlier yesterday... Uh, Pastor Janice brought me here to these amazing... I am so envious of your facilities. Uh, thank you for the generous donors who years ago made it possible for you to be here and to renovate here and to come back here. Uh, I am very, very envious uh, of this. I was raised in a strict Baptist tradition, very fundamentalist Baptist tradition. Then I came to MCC and became a Christian. And as a Baptist, I know that the Bible says you're not supposed to covet your neighbor's wife. Well, I had no problem with that one. <laughs> However, it doesn't say you can't covet your neighbor's parking lot. And the, I, we have one parking spot in Toronto at our church. Every Sunday, people go drive around and around and leave. And so I am very envious of your facilities, amazing, amazing uh, facilities. I envy you for your... Um, the love that I experience in this church for the hospitality uh, that you've shown me. Uh, thank you very much. Um, and I will try to be a polite guest this morning. Now, I know guest preachers are supposed to preach long enough that you will never complain about the length of the sermons of your regular pastors again. And so if you're done before I'm done, please make sure you drop your offering in the offering plates on your way out. Don't miss that opportunity. Seriously, though, I asked Pastor Janice how long I should preach. And she said, well, we have some lights up there that help you. The green light is turned on at the beginning. The yellow light means you've got three or four minutes left to preach. The red light means you're supposed to stop. And if that doesn't work, we have a police siren <laughs> that comes on. And if that doesn't work, one of our ushers is a bouncer at Chances. And she will speak to you. But you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And I've been around long enough. I know what those lights mean. The green light means you're doing good. The yellow light means preach it. You're on a roll. The red light means now you're really going and don't squelch the spirit. Keep preaching. So I will pay attention uh, to those lights this morning. Will you pray with me and for me, please? God, we thank you for this amazing opportunity to be in this place. For we know that through history, millions of people would give anything to be where we are, to see what we see, and to hear what we hear. God, I would ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength and our friend. Amen. Fact, the number one health issue for GLBT communities in Canada, the U.S., Australia, and England, depression. Fact, the Addiction Research Foundation in Toronto says that the addiction rate in the GLBT communities is three times the population at large. Fact, the Christian church as a percentage of the population in North America is dying. Generations after us will not know faith or faith communities in the same way that they know them today. 
And so you ask me why am I passionately concerned about the growth of metropolitan community churches. It's because of those statistics. Literally, there are thousands of people within an easy driving distance of this church who need to be here, who need this community, who need to hear the good news that's preached here, who need to experience the love that's shown here. Now, this is your 38th anniversary, and I congratulate you on 38 amazing years. I've been in MCC for 34 years, pastor of MCC Toronto for 33 years. I started when I was four years old. <laughs> and I've been watching you from a distance. And I've known you for many years. Some of you, leaders in this church, for many years. This church is known for its strong clergy leadership down through the years. Many have been my friends. Strong lay leaders who have served this church and the denomination. You're known as a church who've overcome major challenges. A strong, stable church. And so when I was thinking about what do I share with you today, and when I did that dangerous thing of praying about what I should share with you today, I came to understand that my job today is not to preach a feel-good sermon. You know, it would be great to be able to preach that kind of a sermon and hang out at the back after church and have you say, wonderful sermon, pastor. Really love the wonderful way you talked about God's love or how you talked about forgiving ourselves or caring for ourselves. And I do hope that those sermons are preached here regularly and often. However, I believe my job this morning is different. My job is to challenge you, to raise the bar on urgency. For you see, there's a difference between my sermon this morning and the regular sermons that you hear here. I fly out tomorrow. <laughs> I leave town. I believe that MCC has the potential to be the new reformation of the Christian church. And I've studied enough theology, I know that's a pretty big statement. I believe that MCC has the potential to be the best hope for the future of the Christian church. We can save a dying Christian church. I believe that MCC Toronto is starting to be positioned, not yet, but being positioned to be recognized as the church of the future. Already other denominations are sending their leaders to our church to see what the church of the future looks like. Already clergy come to visit us to see what the church of the future should look like. And yet, most MCCs are stuck in the past. Most MCCs are fighting yesterday's battles. Our churches are stuck at about the same attendance that they were 5 and 10 and 15 years ago. So what about your next 38 years? What about those folks stuck in depression or addiction or have given up on the Christian church? There is an epidemic in North America, Canada and the U.S. It's an epidemic of hopelessness. People have given up hope in public institutions, in government, in churches, and in God. Now they're looking, they're looking at new age groups, they're looking at cults, they're going to all places that are not the healthiest and best choices for them. But they've given up on church, and they've given up on God. So, resurrection, do you care? Does it really make any difference to you at all? Really, do you care about these folks? 
Or do you just want to be a country club? A country club church caring about its members. Are you the kind of member that only cares about how the staff care for you or how the programs are offered for you or how you are taken care of? That's a country club. Do you really care? In the old days, I would say to you, do you really care about saving souls? Today, I say to you, do you really care about saving lives? When Jesus was on earth and he called the disciples to follow him, he said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of souls. I will involve you in an eternal endeavor that will have amazing significance. Come and follow me. Do you really care? If you want to become the church of the future, then I believe that there are four cornerstones on which that church will be built that you must consider. Cornerstones are defined as the most basic element of the foundation of a building, its main supports. Now, I'm going to push you here. If you really care that you, to be more than just a country club church, if you really care about me more than just a hospital where people come broken, if you really want to be a fitness club where you get healthy, you get physically, spiritually fit, and then you get busy, not just consuming religion, sitting in the pew, enjoying the music and the sermons and the choir. The first cornerstone of the church of the future, and here's where I'm going to start pushing, is to develop a culture of inclusivity. Do you realize that in North America, the most segregated hour of the week is Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock? The Christian church in North America has a history of exclusivity, and we don't even realize how exclusive we are. Now, there are some battles around inclusivity that have been around for a while. Some of them we need to move on. Inclusive language. I was here in 1981 when we presented the Task Force on Inclusive Language Report. I was the chair of that task force. Since 1981, we have a policy in this denomination on inclusive language. And frankly, folks, we need to get over this battle. Inclusive language is part of who we are. It needs to be accepted. No more arguments, no more debates. It's who we are. Like it or get over it. <laughs> Secondly, you have a choice. I believe you can either be a gay church or a Christian church. It's a choice. <laughs> MCCs will always be predominantly, most MCCs will be predominantly made up of GLBT people. I get that. But it's time we became an inclusive church that welcomed non-gay people as full members, not just nice straight folks who are sitting in the pews. It's so glad, so nice that you're here with us. And straight people need to get... And those of you who are heterosexual and have decided this is your church home, make it your church home. And stop talking about your church. It's your church. And so what is it that needs to change in this faith community to be fully welcoming of non-GLBT folks? Those are inclusive battles that we need to be over and move on. If you want to be the church of the future, then that culture of inclusivity needs to move to the next battle. And here's tough. It's tough. The new challenge is, will this church be inclusive theologically? Now, out there, 
thinking people are debating lots of things. They're debating whether the Bible is factual or fiction. They're debating whether some stories in the Bible are true or some aren't true. They are looking at issues, raising questions. And yet they come to churches and they find no place for those questions to be raised. In fundamentalist churches, they don't even dare raise the question. And in most MCCs, there's no place to raise their questions. You know, I'll give you an example. I believe that the Bible is a divinely inspired word of God. I'm raised as a Baptist. I believe the, many of the stories. I believe that the Red Sea parted and they walked through on dry land. It was so dry, even the gay men didn't worry about getting their shoes wet. You know, it was dry land. I believe God raised Jesus from the dead. I believe Jesus walked on water. But I don't think God would care whether you believed any of it. Okay? I think we need to free the Bible up from the clutches of fundamentalism. That when you take, when you take the Bible literally, you rob it of its power. The Bible is the living, not dead, the living word of God. And I want to, I want to give you some examples so that your applause is just not polite. <laughs> Jesus walking on water. I believe it happened. Now, I bet many of you really don't think it ever happened. doesn't really make any difference. Some of us can believe it. Some of us don't believe it. That's fine. But if you believed in the literal story that Jesus walked on water, all you're left with is, wasn't he great? But if you take it metaphorically, it says to you, get out of the boat. Get out of those safe places that you've been residing. Take chances. Overcome your fears. Walk on that water. And when you get afraid, when you start to sink, reach out for the holy. And God will lift you up. And miraculous things will happen. That's, that's the kind of power this book can have. If we will free it up from literalism. And let it be the powerful word that it is. Many people are questioning traditional Christian beliefs. Will they be welcome here? Can they be full members here? You know, in the gospel, when Thomas was in the room and they said, Jesus is alive, we saw him. Thomas said, I don't believe you. Now, who tried to kick him out? Nobody. Who said he wasn't welcome? Nobody. A week later, he was still there. Can we be that kind of inclusive community? When folks come in here and say, I don't believe this piece or that piece or this story or that doctrine, can they be still full members of this faith community? Salvation. The fundamentalists have so distorted that meaning. The biblical meaning, the biblical meaning of salvation is simply this. Healing your relationship with God. Healing your relationship with God. And Jesus is one of those, and for me the main one of those, who helps us to heal our relationship, who shows us a way to heal our relationship with God. Born again. Let me tell you a true story. A family had a little uh, two-year-old daughter. And when they got pregnant again, they told their daughter they were going to have another baby. And the little girl said, when you bring the baby home, can I talk to the baby? The parents were a little nervous because, you know, is the child jealous? What might happen? But it was a good kid, and they had a monitor in the room. And so they said, okay. So nine months later, they bring the baby home. Can I talk to the baby? So they took the baby in, put the baby in the crib, turned on the monitor, 
walked into the wrist room and listened. And they heard the little girl walk over to the crib, and she leaned in the crib and she said to the little baby, can you tell me about God I've almost forgotten? We are created in the image of God. Where we came from, we came from God. The holiness of God is in us. The spirit of God is in us. That's where we came from. But at birth, we must begin a natural process of moving away from that. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. We begin to move away from that. We learn how to breathe on our own and eat on our own, to walk on our own, to be independent. All of that's necessary. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Being born again, Jesus said, is about turning back. It's about being born spiritually. It's about returning to our roots, returning to those spiritual roots that we came from. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus said that I have called you and I will equip you to go into the whole world to preach this good news. Now, when you become an inclusive church, I will guarantee you something will happen. Some people will start to call you heretics. They may already are. Maybe already they are. But I want to tell you this. When Jesus was preaching, his family thought he was crazy. And they came to get him. Now, some of your friends think you're crazy for being here. Some of you think you're crazy for being here, right? <laughs> the religious leaders called him a heretic because he preached an inclusive church. And they called him a heretic. Wear it as a badge of honor. The political leaders, the Romans, said he was too, too political. You need to be political. If you want to follow Jesus, you got to be political. So if they call you crazy or a heretic or too political, know that you're on the right track. Peter was one of the most conservative of the early Christians. And he wanted to stay to the same old way, the same old rules. And one day he was praying and a vision of a, of a sheet came down from heaven and there were all kinds of things on it that he had been taught were unclean. And the voice of God came to him three times. Peter, what I have called clean, don't you call unclean. There will be people who will walk into this building who will want to be part of this faith community who may not believe the same way you believe. But what God has called clean, don't you call unclean. Welcome them into this faith community to be a full part of this community. Jesus came to save the church of his day from fundamentalists, the scribes and the Pharisees. They turned the religion from love to rules and regulations and laws. They made it about who could be in and who was on the outside. And Jesus came to save religion of his day from the fundamentalists, and now we have to do it again. We have to open up our churches. Instead of the church of the law, the church of love has to rule. The second cornerstone to be the church of the future, we have to create a culture of giving. They did a study in the U.S. between medium-sized churches and large-sized churches. They say, what's the difference here? When they did the study, they found two differences between the two sizes of churches. The first difference is all of the large-sized churches had definite plans of how to integrate new people into the church. The second difference they found, all of the large churches were not afraid to talk about money. Okay, now I'm meddling, right? Okay. 
story told of a man who was getting baptized and it was total immersion baptism and so he was getting ready to go into the water and he stopped and he took out his wallet and he set it on the side of the lake and the pastor said, hold on, until that's baptized, you're not baptized. <laughs> Some of you are spending more money at Starbucks, JRs and Chances than you are at church. Now, I'm not into guilt. I'm into facts. You know it's true. If someone says to you, what are your real priorities in life? Do you know how they find out what your real priorities in life? Look at where you spend your money. That tells you the priorities you have in life. MCC is the best investment you can make in the future. MCC is the best investment you can make in their future. And in your future. Church, I encourage you to talk more about money. Not to shy away. In order to grow a church, they say there are three crucial things, like the legs of a stool. They all have to be there. Facilities, volunteers, and finances. Now, if you talk about money, some folks will get upset. And they'll kick and scream. And most MCCs, then we back off. However, treasurers know this. The people who complain the most about talking about money are the people who are giving the least. And they feel guilty, and they don't want to feel guilty, and they want you to shut up. Don't let them set the agenda. <laughs> the red light's on. I guess I'm just on our, starting on a roll. So, <laughs> the, third, the third cornerstone, create a culture of service. True story. A man's job was to sweep out boxcars, freezer cars. After they took out all the produce, cleaned it out, get ready for the next load. It was Friday afternoon, and he was cleaning out the boxcar, singing a song, wasn't paying attention to the time, came 4.35 o'clock, somebody else was walking down along the, star, uh, the line of boxcars, closing the doors for the weekend. Got to his car, closed the door without realizing he was in there, the person inside was stunned for a moment, and by the time he started to yell, the person moved on, and he realized he was stuck in that boxcar, that freezer car, until Monday morning. True story. He got colder and colder. He laid down and he wrote on the floor, I am so cold. I am so cold. I can't hold on any longer. And he died. Monday morning when they opened the door, they found him dead. He went off for an autopsy and he froze to death. Literally, he froze to death. However, the, the freezer unit on that boxcar was broken and the temperature never even went down near to freezing. Yet his mind told him that he was going to freeze to death. And literally, he did. The power of our minds. Many people today believe there's no reason to hope. There's no place to hope. We need to create a culture of service here where you're so concerned about those folks that you offer your talents, you offer your time, you offer your questions to this place, that you get busy here making a difference in the world. And finally, a culture of justice. The main opposition to gay and lesbian rights is religious-based. And where there is a religious attack, it requires a religious response. You know, one of the reasons I believe that the United States has fallen behind in gay and lesbian rights is because MCCs in the U.S. have failed to be the strong voice for justice. They have become too comfortable 
in their churches, too much like a country club taking care of only their members, not wanting to upset the apple cart. Jesus challenged the religious and political forces of his day. He stood up to both of them and he paid the price for that. I want to end by telling you a couple of stories. Over the years, our church has been very involved in human rights issues in Toronto, very upfront, leading the demonstrations, signing the petitions, doing the press conferences, doing the media interviews. And we have received a lot of threats down through the years. I've had a number of death threats. Years ago, the police came to me and said, Brent, we've uncovered a plot to kill you uh, by a white heritage front group. Uh, you need protection. They didn't want me to go in the Pride Day parade that year. I said, I'm absolutely not going to back down. Um, they insisted that I get a bulletproof vest. They took me to their best tailors. <laughs> I said, I still want to look as svelte as I can, so please make me look good. Um, <laughs> didn't work, but anyway. Um, so I got a bulletproof vest, had to wear the bulletproof vest uh, that day. The night before, I called my family in New Brunswick, and I said to my sister, if anything happens, uh, tell my mom and dad I love them. And that morning when I left the house, I gave my partner a hug, and I said, you know, whatever happens today, I love you, honey. And off we went for the day. Uh, and I've had to wear that vest on a number of occasions down through the years. Um, in December of the year 2000, we announced at our church that we were going to marry the first gay and lesbian couples anywhere in the history of the world. Our lawyer had discovered that in the Ontario Marriage Act, it said any two persons. It did not say male and female. And he said, Brent, I think you can already do those marriages legally. So we announced it in December of 2000 on January the 14th. 2001, uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we had those first weddings. That morning in church, I was assaulted. We didn't expect any problems that morning. In the afternoon, I had to wear a bulletproof vest. I had 12 bodyguards protecting me, the toughest-looking lesbians you've ever seen in the world, <laughs> protecting me. There were 50, 50 police officers in the basement of the church. Everyone, who, the 1,000 people who came to those weddings were searched. There were protesters outside. It was the most exciting and terrifying moment of my life. The beginning of the service, I stood up and I said, this is a worship service. If anyone disrupts the service, they will be charged with a criminal offense. That's the way it is in Canada. You can't disrupt a worship service. We proceeded with the service. There were no disruptions. Did all the formalities. Asked all the legal questions. Then it came a point for me to sign the documents. And legally, when I signed those two certificates for the lesbian couple and the gay male couple, and, and tore them off the form and handed them to those couples, they were legally married. The place stood up and people cried and cheered, and it was an amazing moment. The government refused to recognize the marriages, so we took them to court. We won the court case, we won the appeal case. And that's how we have marriage in Canada, Spain, Belgium, the Netherlands, Massachusetts, etc., etc., etc. Compare that to two years ago. I'm in my office, and my assistant says, Bryn, you have a phone call from the, from the governor general's office. Hello. <laughs> and a young woman said, Reverend Hawks, I hope you experience this to be a very pleasant phone call. And I said, excuse me, oh shit. <laughs> I did. I said it. And... And she said to me, the selection committee for the Order of Canada, headed by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Canada, has recommended your name to the Governor General for the Order of Canada. Will you accept? 
And I said, does anybody ever not? <laughs> and she said, yeah, a few folks have not. And I said, uh, yes. And she said, and now you can't tell anybody for a few days until it's announced publicly. A few months later, went to Ottawa for the official ceremony. And as Jenny said, it was the first time any country in the world has ever given a gay activist its highest award. And when she pinned this pin on me, she said to me, she whispered in my ear, Reverend Hawks, this is for all of those years working for inclusion. Resurrection MCC, will you be the church of the future? You have a great 38 years. You have so much you can be proud of. However, the question today is about the next 38 years. Will you be the church of the future? Will you be a church of real inclusion? Will you be a church of service and of giving and of justice? Well done, good and faithful servants. Now Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of souls.